Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Jose Angel Aragos. He teaches at Suffolk University in Boston and is the editor-in-chief of Salamander Literary Magazine. He also blogs and reviews books at the Friday Influence. He has uh, many interests and um, poetic interests, and a couple that I want to get into in this show in addition to talking to his new book, Rotura, which translates as break, his, among his many interests are Latinx poetics and literature and aphorisms and fragmentary forms. And uh, when we have guests on here, I just look over their material and whatever pops out at me is what I start with. And I was curious, I'm really curious. I just had this thought, well, well, what are Latinx poetics? I mean, is, oh, yeah. is it different or what, what's about that? Is there some distinctive thing you could talk about for us? So I never, I just hadn't thought about it. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lovely phrase in um, kind of, if you look into the, the kind of Aztec indigenous roots of um, Latinx poetry, um, a, a phrase called flor y canto, so flower and song which um, I believe in the Nahuatl, it's like Xochitl Cuacato, but um, essentially the, the origins of poetry in Latin America is this idea of like flower and song, flower being celebrating and, and the life force kind of, and then song being um, this lyricism, this, this kind of um, celebration of life is, is kind of what it stands for. And um, kind of showing how those roots kind of influence the different ways that um, Latinx poets and, um, and writers in general have kind of um, adapted them to their needs um, is kind of what that involves. Um, it's something that I picked up, uh, it was my focus on my dissertation and um, I won't go too, uh, <laughs> too much into the footnotes, but I will just simply add that um, it's, it's kind of an exploration, the way I teach it and study it and contribute to it actually with my essays as well as my, my poetry uh, is um, kind of honoring and taking note of how the, just the different waves of it from the 60s Chicano activism kind of poetry um, to the kind of feminist 80s poetry um, and very political poetry of that time. And then now we've kind of developed and have, we're kind of in a renaissance. Uh, Juan Felipe Herrera talks about a Latinx re renaissance um, where we have the activists 
kind of poets and we have the more lyrical poets and the more you know hybrid experimental poets so kind of all of it like what are the things that inform it at that intersection of politics and literature here's a here's a question yeah yeah go you know for it. something i think of sometimes that and when i sometimes wish uh a different language or my native language because mm -hmm. i sometimes see these images and i think why don't i think of that and I just think what I, what I think of is I think of an image like bleeding guitars. Ooh, okay. and I don't know, that's, that just strikes me as an archetypal, you know, Lord, how <laughs> I throw that out? <laughs> or one of, one of those guys, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is, is, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it just feels no. like it to me. Uh, I haven't yeah, thought of yeah. a poem to use it. I'm just like, that's a kind of, yeah. Why don't I think of that when I'm trying to write a poem? <laughs> I know, right? It always comes when we're away from our, our computers or our paper. Um, <laughs> no, that makes me think of, um, I, I remember reading that Dylan Thomas liked, uh, like him and I forget who his close friend was that he did this with, but they would play this game where they would try to find the most interesting um, or strange couplings of words, mm. um, sometimes just to make themselves laugh. Well, I remember what a favorite of his was innumerable bananas. Apparently that made him <laughs> giggle a lot. But bleeding guitars, I think he would admire bleeding guitars. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, Ginsburg had a workshop activity where he mm. essentially, you matched, it was essentially a noun. Mm -hmm. So, cause I remember doing it and I had fish and in the list of all the things I had a fish pillow. And it mattered which one you put first. <laughs> you know, pillow right. fish is not the same as a fish pillow. This or is a, true. You're, you're, you're a screen door fish. I don't know. Anyway, but Alan loved to do that. His, 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 actually, his, his example from himself was hydrogen jukebox. He just ah. loved that image. And he, he brought it up. I heard him on more than one occasion bring that up as an example. So I know it was just deep in his mind. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I'm getting the idea. All right, no, this sounds great. No, this is exactly no. what I encourage my students to do is just kind of, we're moving words around. We're seeing what they do to, next to each good. other. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we give people an example of your poetry here? And then oh, we'll yeah, get back sure. to discussing life and poetry and whatever and ever. Life and poetry. It, it's, all, it's all together. Okay, no, yeah. for, for this, I always like to start um, the, conversa the conversation around this book with kind of where the conversation started for me. I was invited... Um, Shortly after the 2016 election of Donald Trump, mm. uh, I was invited by Turing.org to do a letter to America. They were doing this series, um, and actually it became this anthology called Dear America, where this poem is um, anthologized. And, um, but yeah, it's one of the few times where um, I, I, don't, I don't go back and edit this poem. Like I dated mm. it November 22nd, 2016, which is when I wrote it. And I'm like, you know what? This feels kind of occasional and, and fateful. So let me I do that there. Wow. Um, so the other thing I'll say about this poem, I won't give too much away, but it does borrow a line from Faiz Ahmad Faiz. Um, and in the poem, my friend translates it uh, from Urdu. And the line is, and maybe the mirror of the world will clear once again. Um, so I just kind of want to acknowledge that yeah. uh, epigraphically, I should say. Um, this poem is called American Studies. My wife tells me of reading the Dear America books as a child, those stories told via the diaries of young women who lived during difficult times in American history. In these stories filled with suffering were the facts behind the suffering. Her favorite involved the RMS Titanic, the unsinkable ship that sank. 
I ask if trying to imagine what it looked like was what captivated. And she says, no, says only one book led to another until she realized she could never see it nor accept it. After the election, my friend explains he feels he could manage here, but not his children. He explains he spoke to their school director who comforted by talking about police presence. But if there's police, he asks, before anything happens, what will happen when something does? American algebra. Everything is X until proven Y. Dear America, if X represents what my friend feels thinking about the police, what language do you imagine he worries his children speaking publicly? And what language are we speaking now? Show your work. Another friend writes, here's a verse I think about a lot. And maybe the mirror of the world will clear once again. She shares she's been sick since the election, as I've been. I imagine our voices trying to commiserate between coughs. In physics, energy can neither be created nor destroyed. What American physics happens here as I read and hear her voice behind the verse she sent? Are you, dear America, afraid as I am that our voices will no longer be there when the mirror clears? All right, and I gotta, I gotta correct myself. I said voices, our faces will no longer be there when, I'm, when the mirror clears. I said I wasn't uh, gonna edit. I'm not editing uh, it. It's faces. Right. It's faces, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and did that just kind of pour out as well as not being revised? Exactly, I'm yeah. Just it, it, kind of it just kind of poured out. Flowed. I had the prompt from um, the invite and then I just kind of sat with it. And um, I'm always, in my poetry, I'm always kind of, um, in my like, regular practice, my daily practice, it's always shape. It's always, um, um, and what I've been doing mainly in this past couple of years has been um, a, a lot of poems or even stories and essays will start with um, lines of poetry where I do uh, certain words per line. So you want the, this is like the DVD uh, extras kind of that I'm giving you here. <laughs> so this, I always feel like form lets me look at something um, without sitting down trying to write the great poem. Instead, I'm like, oh, okay, eight, eight words per line. So for this poem, it's eight words per line. And I believe it's three sections and it's uh, eight, li eight lines per section. So I had that kind of okay. number game going for me. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it kind of just poured into that container, yeah. Mentioned that you're interested in forms. Yeah, and exactly. Among the other interests there, I saw that there listed there. All kinds oh, of forms. Yeah. And I, I don't mean form. It, form for me is so fascinating because I feel form should lead to kind of freedom. It's not form with like cufflinks and a, like a, a collared shirt. It's more form like what's going to keep you writing. Um, I read this wonderful Billy Collins essay um, uh, years ago. Um, that was very informative. And I brought up Dylan Thomas a second ago. And so I, I'll, I'll bring him up again. I feel like um, in this, in this um, essay, Billy Collins talks about um, the games poets play. And he talks about how um, everything from how churches used to be built, um, cathedrals used to be built with like certain like, um, like statues and uh, designs that can only be seen from above. So we can't mm. see them because they're for God, right? That was kind of like, so inspired from that, he connects it to poetry. And Dylan Thomas, actually, if you get his collected poems, um, you'll note that he's got a prologue at the beginning and it's a hundred lines long. 
<laughs> and like the, the whole thing is that the whole game he was playing is that the first line rhymes with the hundredth line, the second rhyme with the 99th, the third with, so he did that algebra, right? I love um, it. But, and so the, the 49th and the 50th line, there you see the, the couplet, right? That would be your key, except I think very purposefully he had it published that the 49th line is at the bottom of a page and the 50th is at the top of the next uh. page. So you don't even see it. So again, I feel like he, he has this game he's playing with that poem, but he's also like, the game's not the point. The poetry is the point. So that kind of stuff, that, that's where I'm like, no, that's, that appeals to me rather than learning any kind of specific rules. I'm like, ah, oh, what are the rules we, we make up as we go? Yeah. Well, as you said, you're, you, you kind of get distracted by fulfilling the requirements of the form. And along exactly. the way you write the poem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a poem. It's going to be words. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Or exactly. just, it's just kind of another way to play tricks with the consciousness to try to get it out. Exactly. Exactly. Like yeah. the Zen thing of like getting out, getting out of our own way. Like that is so important in life and in writing as well. Yeah. When, when, oh, this is a good time to bring this up. When you're teaching, I always like to ask mm-hmm. people who teach, what are a couple of the big points you like to make to students about writing? Uh, about writing? Um, yeah, like, that, like if they left and remembered one or two big things from oh, a poetry yeah. class, you know? Oh, yeah. One of the things I, I always mention is um, we don't know what we're saying until we start saying this and still we start saying it. And I, um, I say this in my composition classes, in my literature classes and in my creative writing classes. Like we mm. don't start. We don't know what we have to say until we start saying it. Um, so that ties into free writing exercises, um, as well as teaching like essay students who are learning how to write essays um, that you don't start with the thesis like you kind of like get yourself a, a sentence to go and then start writing the body paragraphs because it isn't until your thoughts are down on the page that you start seeing what you might be thinking then you revise and you draft more and you get more and your 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 thoughts evolve so that I would say that's kind of the key thing if students remember anything it's that like you know get that first draft down because you don't know what you have to say and, and add to it, right? Our minds are yeah. always kind of de- developing their thoughts, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think this is the idea. You find this a lot in the creativity literature where people talk mm-hmm. about the artwork you're creating, co-creating with you or coming back to you, interacting yeah. with you. So once you start mm-hmm. putting things down, it starts tell- not telling you what to do, but it comes back to you and you get, you know, you get ideas. Oh, yeah. No, I guess that's and, yeah. yeah. And essay writing, I would say you have more authority, but I feel like in, in, the, in more of the creative work and the poetry, it does have, um, there's more orneriness from the, the art, I would say. <laughs> there's a, a great poet named um, Sherrod Santos, and he's got a book of essays called The Poetry of Two Minds. And that title phrase um, is the name of an essay and, where he breaks down this idea that as soon as you start writing a poem, um, there's the mind of the poem that starts developing and then your own mind. So you've got your own intention um, that you're working with, but the poem might want to go somewhere else. Um, so maybe that's another thing, another yeah. little nugget that I, I share with students is like, we're always balancing intention with intuition. We can't let, we can't go overboard with intention because we might miss what our intuition might lead us to like the, the, the real poem or the more exciting uh, language, I should say. Oh, that's great. So, and yeah. it's easy to remember, you know, Matt, balancing into intention and intuition. That's mm-hmm. really cool. It makes a nice little. Thank you. 
I bumper stickers. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, no, my my students are sitting there saying, "Oh, that's really cool." They're sitting there just being cool, playing it cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> so thank right, you. Right. Well, well, when when I first ran into that, the artwork talking back to you, it took me a while to get it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know when it was when I first ran into it, but I remember going, "What? I don't know about that." <laughs> but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, how about another poem? We yeah, want to sure. be sure folks get a good sampling of your, well, sampling anyway of your work. Oh, yeah, so the next one I'll share. Um, this next one, it's a little bit longer. Um, and uh, this is kind of a, I wanted to make sure um, that with this book, it took many different shapes, had different titles. Um, and if, I'll tell you my story about the title later, um, if, if you're interested. But like, um, I wanted to, for, for the longest time, this, uh, the working manuscript had this poem I'm going to read at the beginning, and another poem at the end. So it, this book ended kind of, um, these poems about conversations I had with my mother. Um, the, the poem that I'm going to read now is a question before the election, and the book ends with uh, a question after the election. Yeah. And um, this idea of like, book book ending it this way um was so that the middle could go anywhere you know i didn't want it to be like and here is a book all about 2016 and all about this that i'm like no no that's too confining so uh, i made sure to you know um yeah kind of give myself that freedom so anyway uh this poem is called the question before the election my mother asked if i've heard of the kkk a month later, the election will turn in favor of a man endorsed by them. A month later, my wife and I will begin unpacking how we represent what is not wanted here. Give us not your disabled, nor woman, not brown skin of self and family and families. A month later, we will grow quiet, swiping at screens to refresh reality, hoping the next flash of text and pixels will give us reason to speak above a mumbled, grit-lined whisper to move the air beyond the pause of remembering to breathe. Because she's heard of a man who brings the worst out of people, because she wants to warn me, but is years late to shield me from history, from threats and sideways glances, outright glares, from nights of glass bottles broken behind me, thrown from cars crammed with frat boys yelling, go back to your country. My mother asks if I've heard of the KKK. A year later, I will be thinking of lists in poems, what it is one inventories make space for, stops to see in lists. A year later, I would list different things my mother and I are years late for. Like me asking what it was like for her when she first came to this country. Or her asking me why I write, why I teach, why I do anything but hide and stay quiet, like she asked me to be as a child. A year later, I will have been walking, looking over my shoulder for more than 30 years. The man I am looking over my shoulder, not noticing the, that I marched behind the youth I was who starved himself and hoped to disappear. Too busy looking over his shoulder to know he marched behind the teen I was in black t-shirts who kept checking and correcting his English and hating his skin. Two in his head and looking over his shoulder to know he marched behind the child I was, alone in garage apartments, staring out the windows at trees and cars, ducking down when a cop car passed and closing his eyes. A year later, it will hit me that these years of looking over my shoulder, 
are a list inside me that inventory, make space for, stop to see the fear inside me. My mother asks if I've heard of the KKK and I feel the worst has found its way into my palm. The worst has me clutching it, hearing it sounded out in my mother's voice. And I know then what I hold in my hands will continue to grow heavy. What I hold in my hand trembles when I cry, my wife cries, friends tell me they cried. When I remember in a hushed, hurried voice, as if we were calling to each other from different parts of a dark wood, wanting to both call out and be found, but also not draw attention. My mother asking me, ¿Has oído del KKK? I feel failure, desengaño, loss, decepción, breakdown, caída, defeat, quebrado, collapse, rotura, frustration, amargura, grief. Bueno, pues, sí. Yeah, that poem, that poem stuck out at me when I read the book. I really liked it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Great way, great way to get at it. Oh, you mentioned the title. You want to tell us a little bit about how that came about? Oh, right. So I, for the longest time, this was going to be called, and even when Black Lawrence Press picked it up, um, we say it was going to be called, we say yes before, we say yes way before you do. Um, or we say yes before you get, I, for, I forget the exact phrase. It's a line from, and I feel bad, sorry, Juan Felipe, but um, it's a line from a mm. Juan Felipe Herrera poem and that inspired it, which is also part of the um, um, the opening kind of yes, uh, epigraph there. for a the quote book. From him. Yeah. Yeah, a quote from him. And um, yeah, I've been, this is my, my fifth full length collection and I've been shy about, I, you know, asking for blurbs and stuff. Like, it's just it's one of those like things that is yeah um i'm, I'm great at I'm, I'm always happy to give a blurb but, but asking for it makes i'm always very shy and um i decided to i met juan felipe at a canto mundo conference a couple of years ago and um but I, I never you know i'm always afraid to ask for favors everything from my time at nyu to meeting some writers and not having the best experiences where i'm just like oh writers can be fussy so i'm just like you know what i'm not gonna bother people but i decided you know what this I'm naming the book after a line of his. I, I got to reach out. So I reached out to him and um, he, he gave me a blur, bless him. And not only that, but he was also like, hey, um, I, I think you should change the title. I think it's, you know, it means a lot that you want a title after a line of mine, but I want you to change the title. Uh, consider changing the title to Rotura. Um, it's a line in the poem I just read. And it's also, he's like, I think it speaks to the, the core of the book. Um, and I, I, I kind of sat with it for a couple minutes. I mean, I said, yes, ultimately I sat with it though, because like on one level, that's very humble of him. Right. It's very humble to be like, you know what, that's kind of you, but I think this is your, yeah. your title. Um, but on another level, I'm like, oh, oh man. Okay. Like I'm not going to second guess him. He's the former poet laureate, U.S. poet laureate. Like yeah. he, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to, I'm going to say what he does, but the more I sit with it, and the more I've done, this is that kind of this is technically my second reading from this book, um, promoting it. And I'm just kind of like, I read these poems and I'm like, oh my God, he's right. Like the, this idea of rupture and um, breaking is definitely like the theme of this book that I even I hadn't seen. So it's again, it's that gift of like, you wow. trust your intuition because your intuition knows, hey, this is the thing to put down, even if you don't know. So Yeah. Oh, that was a great story. And oh, that's just you. so cool. He could just look at it and see that. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I have to admit, I read the whole book and, and I'm thinking, why is it called break? You know, because I only read yeah. it once, you know, but so thank you, Juan Felipe. <laughs> Juan Felipe is awesome. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah great. Like, there's the, the breaking of a country. There's the breaking of hearts of, in families. Um, there's the poem about um, uh, the water crisis in Corpus Christi a couple of years back. So mm -hmm. breaking of like literal pipes and everything. So I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, uh, that it broke my head literally. <laughs> Bad pun, terrible pun. Hello. Well, I'd say we have time for. Oh, men mention, say just a little bit. What's Cantamundo? Oh yeah, of course. Uh, Cantamundo, it's a great uh, um, kind of collective of Latino Latin poets, and um, yeah, it just started a couple years back of um, holding like a three day, three to four day kind of conference where. Poets get to, Latinx poets get together to conduct workshops and, um, you know, do readings and just kind of collect notes and hold the space. And um, one of the things that kind of informed them early on was groups like Capicana, uh, Kandeman, um, groups that uh, provide spaces for, for specific marginalized communities. And um, so that's kind of like, and, and they, they're always taking applications and they're, it's such a lively, awesome community, very supportive. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things that I'll share about what it means it meant to me personally is that um, it made me realize like how to be just a little bit more, a little more brave on the page and in life, because I was around people who had had similar situations or been in similar situations, circumstances as I had, mm -hmm. um, uh, people who look like me, people who speak Spanish and who, um, uh, I don't know, just community. Because I mean, growing up, oh. I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, and it was, you know, predominantly Hispanic. But my academic career, creative writing in general, has been primarily white spaces, and um, that's just, you know, that's just calling sure. it what it is. It's not a not a shot. Yeah. But um, it took me for the longest time, like what what that meant for me as a Latinx poet was, I would get these kind of um, off reactions to my work like oh there's a lot of heat in this poem or there's some this this is metaphors really spicy and I'm like it's not food like I'm not like we're not at Taco Bell <laughs> like it's poetry like um, or I would get um side eye for having Spanish in my poems and I'm just like what's like but there's Latin and French in like T.S. Eliot's poems like why can't so anyway it's it's slowly Great. it was very affirming I should say so I, yeah. I definitely encourage people to apply Sounds and find great. out more. Yeah, and you, you end up with a more of a network of the people you spent time with, and exactly, and also yes. you didn't mention there's also uh, a sort of a honcho like lead poet featured as each of these things too. Oh yeah, like oh, no, Juan Felipe or yeah. the first one was uh, mm -hmm. Martina Spada, and I yes. noticed Luna de Cervantes was by there one time, and it was just as a, some some really well known experienced poets were there who play a major role in the, in the uh, three or four day experience. So folks, yeah. Canto Mundo is something mm -hmm. to learn about, especially if you're the kind of person who could go and attend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. and I would also say one of the neat things they do is um, they bring in a keynote speaker from outside the community. So we had a Sherwin Butsui one year and then Natasha Trethaway another year. Oh, great. Um, just to show, cause I mean, diversity is one thing and inclusiveness is another. Like, I feel like you have to do the actual work to like, okay, we're diverse. And people usually just think race. And I'm like, it means disability. It means queerness. It means mm. a whole lot of things. 
Um, so just anything that kind of supports that and keeps that conversation going is um, I'm happy to be a part of that. Super. Super. I'm glad we had a chance to tell folks a little bit about it. Well, let, let's oh, have you. one more one more poem. We're about out of time, but we've got time for another one because nobody can stop us. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I can I can go on a bit. So I always That's great. I've, I've had to kind of like be kind to of, learn to be kind to of myself and realize that rambling can be a route. That this is how I work, and especially as hey, poets, right? This is you know? fabulous. You're yeah. doing exactly what you're supposed to do, as far as I, as far as I oh. know. And there's no <laughs> rule book, so I, I guess that's great. Oh, awesome, awesome! Thank you so much. And so, I, since I mentioned this poem, I'll, I'll read it. This is the book, the the poem that closes the book. Um, and this is after the election. So this is um, questions after the election. In her story about being told by her white bosses, white secretaries, vote Trump. You better vote Trump. As she punched out from work, as usual, tired and body sore. Does my mother know she gathered the darkness of each corner of the factory and the darkness of the drive home, switching between stations, nothing sounding right, and the darkness in her mind, listing all the work waiting for her at home, and the darkness of the night over Corpus Christi, and how these darknesses spill over now into every word I'm urged to write, because nights like these are ink and her story of pretending not to hear, but telling me what she heard, what was said, is a story of darknesses being separated, made distinct as words on a page, which hold darkness in one form, until we close our eyes and darkness shifts to darkness shifted. At the end of her shift, does she know about the darkness I will hold for her? Charlie, thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for being here, folks. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Our guest today, Jose Angel Aragus. He teaches in Boston and his new book is Rotura. So check it out. So and also be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>